the wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello and welcome to The Wind Was a Beginning, a podcast where we talk about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. This is Season 2, Episode 17. I guess Rand can't have all the fun. everyone and welcome to the last episode of season two of the wind was a beginning my name is justin uh steven is here as well and we are ready to finish up the great hunt steven say hi to everybody why don't you do that first hey everybody glad to be here and glad to uh get to share all this with y'all yeah so last time we before we signed off, we said we were going to cover chapters 47 and 48. And then almost as soon as we hit the stop button on our recording, we said, you know, we need to go ahead and do 49 and 50 as well. Uh, so, yes, listeners, this is a little bit different than what we told you last week, but uh, I hope that uh, you're prepared for just a little bit more. Uh, I think we'll plan before this episode comes out to let the listeners know that we change things a little bit so uh, they can be ready for, and, and really chapters 49 and 50 uh, are shorter anyway. So there, there's some stuff there we can talk about, but not as much as some of these other chapters. So, man, I'm excited for it though. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it, everything just really came to a head right here at the end. And there is, um, there's quite a bit of, wild stuff going on by the way i i will mention um we're, we're having a little bit of uh you know stormy weather here where i am so you may hear a rumble of thunder come through on my microphone um maybe not i don't know but uh, if you hear that don't don't worry it's not uh, the end of the world or anything happening outside uh, at least not yet um it's <laughs> probably just a, a thunderstorm so uh just going to give you a little heads up on that. Should, should, okay, let's go ahead and let, let's just dive into it because uh, there's there's some awesome stuff here to to dive oh, yeah. into. So we'll start in chapter 47, which is the grave is no bar to my call. The great hunt for the Horn of Valir is ended, but the young two rivers men are not out of trouble yet. With Sean Chan on one side and White Cloaks on the other, Matt makes the decision to sound the horn of Valir. Led by Arter Hawkwing, the heroes of the past are prepared to fight, but only if the dragon and his banner go with them. Rand soon finds himself alone in the midst, or the mist, and confronted by Baalzaman. As the battle rages, Rand clashes with his foe and is prepared to put Land's final lesson into action if it means the people he cares about will be safe. Can we say that... This chapter is the winner of the least mysterious title award. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because we have, you know, since we were first introduced to the Horn of Valir 
we've had this inscription. I think it's around the bell of the horn. Is that right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. And it, it, it says those exact words, the grave is no bar to my call. So I, you know, you turn that page, you see chapter 47, you see the, the title is like, you kind of know what's probably going to happen uh, in this chapter, which maybe is a surprise because everything we've been told about the horn is it's there for the last battle, right? Yeah. Um, but just like Matt says, nobody it, says it can <laughs> only be there. <laughs> right. Doesn't mean it, it can't, uh, can't be used beforehand. And, you know, I was, um, I go ahead and jump to this. I was, I guess, a bit surprised that it was Matt. Who sounded the horn? I guess. I guess Rand can't have all the fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess it, we got it. We got to spread it around a little bit. So, but um, yeah, the, the fact that it was Matt, I guess, was kind of uh, unexpected. We might say. Yeah, and uh, you know, we'll get into that a little bit more here in a little bit, but. Other people, even after the horn is sounded, just assume that Rand's the one who blew it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> some very important people as well, but we'll, we'll, I guess we'll have to talk about that um, yeah. when we get there. I, one thing I wanted to talk about is this: it's very early in the chapter where Rand is um, struggling with just how much is on his plate right now. Right. Which I, I put a little note on my notes. I said, welcome to adulthood, Rand. It doesn't get any better than this. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was this this statement that keeps popping up throughout these last few chapters. Death is lighter than a feather. Duty heavier than a mountain. Is is that something we've heard before? Uh, No. I, I this is the think first so. time I mean, we've heard it put exactly like that. Yeah, it sounds like something that Lan would say, or one of the uh, Shinarans, maybe yeah. somebody from the Borderlands. But I, I didn't feel like I, I wanted to make sure that this was really the first time we had we had really yeah. heard this. It's the first time. It's probably not the last. But it's definitely the first time we've heard it put exactly like that. Um, I think it's most likely something that Rand picked up from the Borderlanders, or okay. like you said, maybe from R Lan himself. Yeah. I don't think it's something that he just like comes up with out of the type of blue. Okay. Um, but I think it's probably a, a saying that he's been exposed to, and it's just stuck with him. I I find it to be um, there, there's definitely you know it. <sighs> It's funny, and maybe it was because of reading this. I was just thinking about this the other day. You know, there, it, it is. You know, there, there is a finality to death, and there is. You know, it, it's it's something that, frankly, it's 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 really easy to do. Um, yeah. it's harder to live <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Um, death is easy. Living is hard. Yeah. Isn't that a line out of Hamilton? <laughs> Dying, <laughs> Dying is easy, young man. Living is harder. Uh, yep. Can we use? I don't think we can use that as a title. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to get. Uh, uh, I, I don't want to get caught up in Scamilton. So, uh, 
but <laughs> so it, there, there's there's a lot of wisdom there. Um, yeah, you know, sometimes the easiest thing to do is the most final thing, but the better thing to do is to go on living and fulfill your responsibilities, fulfill your duty. And yeah, that's such a borderlander thing. <laughs> yeah. And it's also tied in with this idea that the, the death of you as like your death is such a little thing when compared with what duty demands. Yeah. Like duty and honor reign supreme. Your life is but a small thing in comparison to that. Hmm. Uh, but that's a hard realization to make, and it's not for everybody. It's, it is a saying that in its very core uh, includes sacrifice. Yeah. You know, yeah. it is that willingness to take that last step, I guess, is the best way I can think of it, is to, you know, set aside your own personal well-being for the sake of your duty. Yeah. In Rand's case, for the sake of his friends. Yeah. So I, I guess that, that's a, you know, I, to me, that's, that sounds a little bit like an alternate alternate take on it that, yeah. you know, you mentioned sacrifice, but what is the bigger sacrifice? Is it giving your life or is it living your life for others? Which is what, yep. which is the dilemma that Rand is kind of facing here. Yeah. Um, both, both would be, would be hard to do, but one may be actually a little bit harder than the other. I, I don't know. We could, we could sit here and play philosopher all day. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're, we're in a bit of a, I guess a bit of a pickle because as, as we mentioned, we've got, uh, white cloaks on one hand, um, Sean Chan on the other. Uh, so we're right in the middle of a worst sandwich. Um, yeah. And Matt is the one we already mentioned. He takes it upon himself to sound the horn. I found the descriptions of the uh, sounding of the horn to be compelling. Uh, and th there's a couple of them. One at the end of the first section uh, it says it was a clear note. Golden as the horn was golden, the trees around them seemed to resonate with it, and the ground under their feet, the sky overhead, the one long sound encompassed everything. And then we shift point of view. We get to Jeffrey Bornhold, who is getting ready to lead like his his last ride into battle. Jeffrey Bornhold stiffened in his saddle as a sound filled the air. So sweet he wanted to laugh, so mournful. He wanted to cry. It seemed to come from every direction at once. Um, there's something, there's something beautiful, poetic about that. Even, yeah. Uh, I guess, I guess it's just meant to make us feel. You know, this is. It's not an ordinary horn. It's not an ordinary sound. Uh, it's yeah. kind of encompassing everything. And it doesn't really even act like a regular sound. It's almost like they're hearing it. Because the way it's described to me, it's almost as if they're not hearing it with their ears, but they're hearing it with their like soul. Like this is an an innate like it's a it's more than just a sound. It's a feeling. It's a otherworldly beckon. So that's exactly what it is. <laughs> yep. Uh, calling calling heroes from beyond the grave, which was. Uh, something to behold, I have to say. But but the first first before we get into that, what in the world is going on with Rand? 
in mm-hmm. all of this. I mean, it's almost like at times it reads like he's having an out of body experience. At other times it reads like he's just, I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, you know, there, there's like, he, he see, he, he looks and he sees everything like below him. Oh, and then he's back with them. Oh, and then everything's below him again. It's, it, it was really kind of, I, I, I'll be honest. It was a little bit difficult to picture at times and I didn't really know what to, what to make of it. I mean, I just, I just kind of rolled with it. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's a lot that happened in a really short time period here. You can um, say that again. So I think maybe I can help just break it down yeah. bit by bit. Um, and then we'll kind of speed back up again when we get past this first little bit. So there's a couple things. One, Matt's the one who sounds the horn. The horn reacts. The heroes come. We see this fog rising up. Uh, and then the heroes approach. Uh, and the first part of this is they recognize Ran without even a blink. Yeah, I, I did catch that. Or, well, I say this. They rec- they recognize Luz Theron. Yeah, they, they recognize the... Uh the spirit or the soul or mm-hmm. yeah. How, whatever you want to, however you want to put it. Yeah. So they knew this and, wasn't just a shepherd from the two rivers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and it's, it's interesting here. Um, you know, I did want to have, I do have to mention, I think it's very appropriate that the leader of these heroes from the dead is Arthur Hawkwing. The uh-huh. one who's really to blame for <laughs> this entire mess. <laughs> you know, I th- I thought about that too. These are supposedly his descendants that they're going to fight against. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, I just I, think that's poetic justice there. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, we have that. Then we, you know, the Arthur Hawkwing and the other heroes approach Rand, uh, basically treating him as a comrade. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, then they kind of have to figure out what's going on. And Rand just, you know, he commits. He's like, my name is Rand Althor. You have to hurry. There, is, there isn't isn't much time. And, you know, then we do get the talk about, you know, how time is really not an issue for them. And right, time is, right. you know, uh, all of that. But then uh, there's an interesting bit. Rand is telling them what he needs done. And then... But before they can do it, uh, Arthur Hawkwing is like, something is wrong. Something holds them. So something is not right about the heroes being able to engage and do what needs done here up until the banner is brought loose. Yeah. So what, without spoiling too much, basically I think... The Heroes of the Horn, we are told that they are there to be sounded and to fight in the last battle. Yeah. Uh, this is obviously not that. So, by rule, the Heroes probably shouldn't be able to take part in this battle. Hmm. Um, but, you know, he says, something is wrong here, something holds me. And then he turned his gaze on Rand. And he says, you are here. Have you the banner? And he says, yes. Uh, and then 
Hawkwing says, the pattern weaves itself around our necks like halters. Hmm. You are here. The banner is here. The weave of the moment is set. We have come to the horn, but we must follow the banner and the dragon. So basically, the way I read this is this. The horn is an instrument. It's supposed to sound them to fight the last battle. In any normal circumstances, if anybody else sounded the horn, they would come and then they would go back because it's not the last battle. What's happening here is the pattern is weaving its, it's bending its own rules, basically, for this moment. The pattern is shaping itself because the dragon is there and because he has the banner, the pattern shapes itself around them just like he says, and binds them to this cause, even though it's not the cause they're intended for. So it's, I think, an influence of the fact that all three of our Taviran boys are there together. Uh, you know, as you, were, as you were talking, that was the thought that came to me, is that not only do we have the dragon there, but we have two other Taviran as well. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, I can, I can definitely together, see that. And, technically, while I don't know if it actually applies because he's not being woven into the pattern at the moment, Arthur Hawkwing is also a Tavirin. <laughs> so, so, so we've got, we got, it's extra Tavirin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, a, a little, little extra on that, uh, on that sandwich yeah. there. So, I also wanted to bring up. Um, we have this moment when the heroes first start showing up. Yeah, uh, with Rand. Um, I know several of the several of the names are are brought up. Yeah, uh, I don't think I wrote them down. He and then uh, at the first, the dense mist hid more than that, but suddenly they came closer, and it was Rand's turn to gasp. He knew them. Men, not all in armor, and women, their clothes and their weapons come from every age, and he knew them all. Rogosh Eagle Eye, uh, Guidal Kane, Golden-Haired Bri- uh, I always get her name wrong, Brigitta, uh, Ardra Hawkwing himself, and then, but he heard a hundred names when he looked at each face, some so different he didn't recognize them as names at all, though he knew who they were. Michael instead of Mickle, Patrick instead of Padrig, Oscar instead of Otaran. So, what I want to ask you, and then I'll give my opinion. What do you think is happening here with Rand, right here? Well, we we know that, or at least we I think we've been led to believe that in this world there is a cycle of rebirth. So what I'm feeling like is Rand is remembering other names that these heroes wore in other lives. Right, but why would Rand know them? Well, because he's a reborn as well. He's he's Lucerin reborn. Okay. And he's the dragon reborn. The dragon has come through multiple ages too. Okay, but I mean, pretty much in this world, everybody is reborn. Yeah. Like, everybody, to some extent, is just reincarnated over and over and over again. Why is it different for Rand here? Perrin's not sitting there thinking, oh, I know all these names. You know, this is a Rand thing. So why? what is making Rand special here, and why is this happening? Um, yes. 
(laughs) (laughs) I I really have no idea. Uh, Okay. This is my personal theory. Okay. There's two sides to it. I'm I'm of two minds. It could be one of two things. One, uh, perhaps wherever it is that their souls go while they're waiting to be reincarnated, that those that are closer to the pattern, that have a stronger part to play in the pattern, such as these heroes, such as the dragon, that their souls interact there. My other is that perhaps when it isn't the patterns, when the pattern isn't spinning the dragon out to do the dragon's thing, perhaps the dragon is himself one of the heroes of the horn. Interesting. Yeah. Just Go. that's like I said, that's my personal thought. So perhaps he knows them because he is one of them. Yeah. Because I, time think, goes on. Yeah, I think uh, that makes sense. In the different ages where the dragon isn't necessarily needed to do what the dragon does. I, I think uh, that makes sense. So that's, I don't know. Just like I said, my fun little theory that I've come up with over time. Okay. And I haven't found anything that necessarily disproves it. So <laughs> listeners, if anybody's got a, a different opinion on it, by all means, let me know. Yeah, for I'd sure. To, for sure. To hear your thoughts on that. Um, but, uh, cause, cause you know, I'm not going to offer anything different because, um, well, I don't remember anything. So, um all right uh ready to step into the ring again yeah i think so yeah Uh, althor versus baalzaman two yeah and i i know they they've had other meetings along the way but this is like i'm talking like you know the big fights you know this is like you know ali frazier you know tyson holyfield althor baalzaman going at it one more time and and uh, I guess again, it, it's kind of out of nowhere, right? He's riding along, then he finds himself alone in the midst and mist, not midst, in the midst of all the mist. And there he is, the the enemy, the the guy that we have been, uh, we we thought we killed at the end of book one. Uh, he showed his ugly face again, quite literally this time, and. Here he is again, uh, flaming eyes and everything. Yep. Ready for a fight. Yep. And uh, he's not pulling any punches. No, he's not. He is... Uh, I think he came a little bit more prepared this time. Yep. Uh, so what can we say about this this battle? There, there's so much. Uh, one thing that uh, stood out to me is... Um, Rand has no hesitation whatsoever about seizing the power on this occasion. Well, he is reluctant, but he does not let that hold him back. I, it, it, it didn't, I didn't come across that way to me. It seemed like, you know, he, you know, if there was any reluctance, it was minimal. He, he knew what needed to be done. And so he didn't really even think twice about it. He just, he well, just went right at it. Well, he, you know, it even says here, it says, Rand went forward to meet Balzaman. Reluctantly, he assumed the void and reached for the true source and was filled with the power. Oh. So he was not reluctant in meeting Balzaman, but he is still somewhat reluctant in taking hold of the power. But he has decided that this has to happen. And so yeah. whether, it, despite how he feels, he's doing it. Yeah, it goes it goes back, I guess, to that, the, the weight of duty. Yep. Uh, he knows what needs to be done. And 
Uh, all the while, this battle down in Falma is happening. Yeah. Which is kind of an interesting point I, I picked up on, is there seems to be a a link between the two battles. Yeah. Uh, Rand even starts to pick up on that, too. And yeah. that's part of what influences his decision at the end. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I think what's happening here with Rand is something... It is twofold. Um, one, while it's not directly clear yet, I don't know that we can avoid talking about what's happening here. So I don't, I don't think it's going to spoil. If it spoils anything, it's like five pages down the road. So uh, when Balzaman meets Rand, um, Rand is still on his horse. He is, uh, you know, hurled from the saddle. Yeah. Uh, and then he clung to the sword desperately as he soared. It was not a hard landing. In fact, he thought the sen- with a sense of wonder that it was very much like landing on nothing at all. One instant he was sailing through the mists, and the next he was not. So I think going forward through this fight, we're going to see mention where Rand is like, he was still aware of other things too. He was aware of the battle that was going on and everything like that. I think part of that is because while Rand doesn't realize it, he's getting a bird's eye view of the battle. Uh, He doesn't really understand what's happening. Um, And I think so we're partly seeing that misunderstanding, but at the same time, I think it is also, and and people are going to get tired of me saying this word. It's Taviran again. (laughs) It's uh, that's part. That's why there's this bond in the battle here. The pattern is literally physically shaping itself around Rand right now. This is yeah. a pivotal moment. It is like a, uh, like like Arda Hawkwing said, the weave has been set. You know, it's this shifting, flowing thing where the pattern is actively weaving around Rand, and the decisions he's making are actively influencing the pattern on a huge scale here. Okay. Uh, and so with every step forward that he makes, the pattern shapes itself towards his victory. With yeah. every retreat, it shapes itself as if though he will be defeated. Right. What he chooses to do here, and that's what really boils down to, is choice. The choices that he's making are influencing the pattern in a significant way here. Yeah. Uh, that seems to be a significant theme here at the end of the book, for sure, because there's some other stuff that comes up later that yep. relates to that. And and he does. Uh, he makes some uh, he makes some difficult choices in this moment. Yeah. Um, I, I was drawn to this whole thing with the sword, about Baalzaman being afraid of the sword, but then... Rand remembering this saying that's come down through the ages that steel can't hurt the dark one. Yeah. And then it seems that steel was uh, able to hurt Baalzaman, or at least it appears to be that way. Yeah. He, he notices a couple things in this fight that kind of draw his attention to the fact that uh, something is not as it should be. Like, things are not adding up with Balzaman. Uh, you know, he talks... For one, Balzaman thinks that Rand blew the horn. 
Yeah. Which Rand has a problem with because if he's this is actually the Dark One, then he should know who actually blew the horn. He should there shouldn't be any confusion here. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, so there's definitely that. Then there's like you said, there's him being afraid of the sword. Uh, there's him being afraid of the fact that Rand once again is over channeling. And then there's this intense desire from Balzaman that Rand submit. Mm-hmm. Not that Rand died, not that Rand lose. He wants him to submit to him. That's his whole thing. Yeah. Uh, and he's trying everything he can to convince him to do it. You know, he's still trying to barter with him. It's very strange, this whole situation. And Rand is starting to catch on to it. Do you have any thoughts on that? No, I think I, I think you, uh, you covered it there pretty well. It's also interesting. He keeps making the point about how your mind lose Theron, living or dead, your mind. You know, this this uh, is all stuff we've heard over and over again from yeah, Balzaman. He, he's he's a broken record. At yeah, this point. we, we the, the, all of this is nothing new. I mean, it, it's the same stuff he's been saying pretty much since we first met him. Yeah, and then we finally get kind of a confirmation as to why uh, the girls were taken out of the tower in the first place. Here. Okay, and maybe I missed that. Okay, so um, Rand wanted to howl aloud, and this is after he got pushed back and then the Sanchan moved forward. Uh, suddenly he knew that the two battles were linked. When he advanced, the heroes called by the horn drove the Sanchan back, when he fell back, the Shan-Chan rose up. And then Balsamon says, They will not save you. Those who might save you will be carried far across the Arathosan. If ever you see them again, they will be collared slaves, and they will destroy you for their new masters. So something with the girls, with Egwene, Nynaeve, something ties them to Rand in a way yeah. that Balzaman here is aware of and wants to prevent. Okay. They so are in some uh, way necessary for Rand. So it basically he's trying to get them out of the way. Yes. Um, he's trying to weaken Rand preemptively okay. by taking away things that he needs to be successful. Okay. So hmm. that's the reason the girls were brought here. He, and for some reason, he doesn't want them dead. Um, yeah. He wants them gone and twisted. Uh. That 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 seems to confirm for me, going all the way back to the prologue, that Leandrin was probably there, that uh, Shan Chen, uh, High Lady, I forget her name, Surath. Yeah. That she was probably there. And this was probably those, the secret orders that they got. Yeah. Was related to, to the, the girls going to the tower and being brought out uh, of the tower. So um, it all links back together. <laughs> yeah. So I did have to bring that to mention. Um, I'm glad you did because I kind of, I'd kind of missed that. I mean, I, I got the, the taunting, but I kind of missed that that was, like yeah. part of the plan, right? Yep. I, I kind of missed that. Yeah. So uh, he intended to get these girls gone. Okay. Uh, specifically speaking of Nynaeve and Egwene, because those are the ones that were actually targeted to be taken to fall. Right. Men and right. Elaine were just kind of bystanders. Right. Right. Um, 
But yeah, specifically, something about them, those two is important to Rand and his success going forward. And Balzaman here was getting them out. Basically, he wanted to take pieces off the board. Okay, yeah. Uh, it's like a, like a game of chess. Yep. Get get rid of some of the pieces and uh, makes the game a lot easier. Uh, yep. Well, I we got to talk about the end of the fight. Yeah. And and I I, I want to say I I want to you know toot my own horn here a little bit. I, I knew that Heron waiting in the rushes was going to come back. Oh yeah. And I knew it was going to work out exactly as Ingtar had predicted. Um. What's different is that it's not a subconscious accident on Rand's part. Uh, this was him choosing to sheathe the sword. Right. Because he knew it would give him the opening he needed to strike the enemy. And I thought, I thought about this, that if that was not Rand's purpose in, in teaching him that all along. Like when he was teaching him that, that form, he said it was for practicing balance, but do you think Ran or Lan knew that that's really what it was for? It was for that last ditch effort when you know the you know your enemy has to fall, even if it if it costs you your life too. I still maintain that Inktar was right. If some what what one practices too often, he'll do subconsciously. So Rand still needs to be careful with that one. But I I think there was some intentionality in in Lan teaching that one to him and having him practice it so much. I think whether it was intentional on Lance part or not, it was intentional upon the pattern that he, that this all worked towards this. I think, I think Lan uh, knew what he was doing the whole time. <laughs> it's highly likely. I mean, Lan it's, is a it's pretty Lan. wise guy. <laughs> um, so, but I, I do want to, to bring up the point here that the only reason this works here is because Rand finally makes this re- has this revelation here at the end about Balsamon. Uh and it's thanks to the flicker flickers. Uh, the only reason that he knows to do this, and the only reason it works, is because he's able to goad Balsamon into attacking him. Yeah, he 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 takes on that stance that uh, the heron waiting in the rushes, and he's basically just standing there. Right. And it all comes down to the fact that he has to get Balsamon to attack him so that he can take the strike home. Uh, if he just stands there, he doesn't accomplish anything. Right. If he goes on the attack, he's not going to win. He has to go Balsamon in here. And the way he's able to do that is because he finally realizes, you know, he has that, that moment uh, here at the end where uh, Balsamon talks to him and he says, you have only one salvation, Randall Thor, lose Theron Kinslayer. I am your only salvation. Serve me, and I will give you the world. Resist, and I will destroy you as I have so often before. But this time I will destroy you to your very soul. Destroy you, and you utterly and forever. And then Rand in his head hears the, I have won again, lose Theron, echo in his head. Yeah, It's not said here. He just, his mind brings it into focus and it all kind of clicks for Rand here. Uh, for the first time, Rand realized that Balsamon acted as if the Heron Mark blade could harm him. This is what brings that realization that you were talking about, that steel 
right, can hurt right. him. Uh, all of it comes into focus, and Rand starts just pouring power into Tam's sword here, infusing like he suddenly becomes aware of like on almost an atomic level. He's just pouring power into this blade uh, in a way that no normal blade could withstand. Uh, but, you know, he finally realizes here, I will never serve you, Father of Lies, in a thousand lives I never have. I know that. I am sure of it. Come. It is time to die. He finally learns the lesson that was there in all those lives that he experienced in the portal stones that despite what this father of lies tells him, despite what Balzaman says, while he gloats about winning, Rand may have died in tons of lives. He's died, but the voice never told him that he lost. The voice just always gloated that it won. Mm Mm-hmm. And it never got what it wanted. It always wants him to submit. Yeah. He always dies, but, but he, he never submitted. He never gives in. Yeah. And Rand finally gets that piece of the puzzle, and that's what drives him into these actions. He realizes that the sword is something that can hurt him. He remembers the teaching that Land gave him. He thinks on the duty he has and the people he loves and the ones he wants to protect. And all of that together pushes him to this decision and, you know, leads us to this final confrontation where Rand is basically run through. He's struck with a staff as if with a spear uh, in his side, like a white hot poker. But then with the last of his strength, he drives the heron marked blade into Balzaman's heart. You know, it, it all builds to that. Yeah. Rand has to come to grips with who he is, what he is, and accept his duty. That's the thing. This whole book has been about Rand working to accept the duty that he knows is his, but he's been trying to run from. And in these last seconds, with the help of Land's teaching and all that's been drilled into him about honor and duty, he accepts it. Okay. And that's why he's able to win here. Not because he's a great tactician or a super skilled swordsman or he's not, you know, using magic to get out of the problem. What lets him win here is self-realization. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's, you know, that that is, um, I guess, unexpected, right? Because in, in so many stories, it is like the strongest warrior. It is the... The one who has the most skill, but as you say, it comes down to the, it basically comes down to the one who does what he needs to do, who realizes what he needs to do in the moment and does it. Yep. Which I guess is kind of, I, I guess that is, you know, part of like the hero's journey. Uh, cause yeah. I think about, you know, characters like, you know, like a Harry Potter or, um, Sam Gamgee uh, at the end of The Return of the King. Um, You know, Luke Skywalker. How many of these characters that it's not because they were the biggest or the strongest. It was because 
they made the decision to do what had to be done and that, that yeah so i guess it's not uncommon in stories but it's it's the, it's still even even then it's the unexpected thing right oh yeah there's there's something there's something hardwired within us to expect the strongest to win or the most yeah. skilled to win but that's what these stories show us is that that's not always the case uh we 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 probably need to to get clipping yeah. along here yeah, uh, we've got three. Um, we got three more chapters. They're all relatively short, though, and uh, there's not yeah. as much to discuss in them as there was in chapter forty-seven. But we'll start with chapter forty-eight. First, claiming as the battle winds down, Min feels herself called by something, only to find herself drawn to Rand, who was unconscious, injured, and ice cold. And she's not the only one that's been pulled to him. We find that Egwene and Elaine have felt it as well. And then there's one other who apparently has an interest in Rand. Uh, well, I, I guess let's just start real quickly. All the things we need to talk about with Rand here. Before we talk about Rand, uh, Bale Dolman finally had enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he finally said, we got to get out of here because men sees him uh, taking off. But okay, let's talk about stuff going on uh, with Rand. Yep. Um, let Let's start with Let's start with the sword. I'm gonna be honest. This will be my third time reading the Great Hunt, and I don't I I I don't know how I forgot, or maybe it just never registered with me before that the Heron Mark blade is destroyed. Yeah. Like, I, how how did I miss that? <laughs> um but i caught it this time <laughs> that that sword it, it, it's basically it, it's it's a hilt with about a foot of mangled steel and that's mm-hmm. it that's yep. all that's left after plunging it into balzaman's heart um what else is going on with rand i mean for all intents and purposes he's dying <laughs> yeah, uh, but, but I'm I'm talking specifics. <laughs> okay, um, specifics. He's uh, there. There's a he, really, really bad wound where Balsamon's staff hit him. Yeah, um, a severe enough wound that it even makes men whistle when she sees it. Yeah, uh, and, and it's it's and, and we're gonna find out a, a, later that it's not. Uh, it's 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 not an ordinary wound. Yeah. Um which it was a staff wielded by Baalzaman. I guess it would be anything but ordinary. Yeah. But it's interesting that it's self caught like it's cauterized all on its own. Yeah. But not in such a way as to to knit it back like there's still a wound there. Right. Right. Even though it's been cauterized. Yeah. Um, I guess the big revelation about Rand, other than the fact that he's dying, um, I guess you could say, physically speaking, is his other hand. His 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 his. his, his I guess I, I'm assuming it's his left hand. I don't know why that's that's the way. I don't know if it says precisely, but he's got two heron marks now. On his yeah. hands. Uh, so one on the right, one on the left. Which, 
was prophesied, wasn't it? Yep. What? What? How does that? How does that prophecy go? I think it's right there in the chapter. I didn't uh, write it down, but it might be in another in another one. It's. Uh, I think it's uh, in the next chapter. Okay. Um. Ah, here we go. It is in the next chapter. Okay. Okay. Once the heron to set his path, twice the heron to name him true. So there's no doubting it this time, right? Right. <laughs> uh, it is. Uh, it is certain. Yep. Who he is. Yeah, he is who he is. Now it's just a matter. And I think most of us, at least as readers, at this point, you're pretty much convinced that it is oh, what it is. For sure. But Rand has been struggling with it. Right. And 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 that, that that's what it comes down here to at the end is is him being prepared to accept it. But that that's the next chapter. I guess we got to finish this chapter first. And yeah. that's all of this uh revelations we get from men that first yeah, of all than... she's she's drawn to him. Yeah. As as though the the pattern is, I guess, I guess you could say, is tugging at her. But she's not the only one. See, uh, I don't know if it's the pattern tugging her, or I think what's happening here is that Rand subcon like his unconscious will is tugging her. Okay. And the other, all the threads that because it, you know, Elaine and Egwene show up too. I think Rand. Well, is doing this. He yeah. Well, know we, we know that it. we know that they were feeling the the pull. Uh, and it's specifically mentioned that Nynaeve was not. So it's these three, which yeah. stood out because, you know, it was meant, there's that vision from men about three women uh, standing around uh, his funeral bed. Yeah. Um, but then we find out there might still be one of those three that hasn't been met yet. So we don't even know. We don't know what's going on. Yep. <laughs> Because uh, men now, mentioned something about that, about there still being one that 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 has they haven't even met. Yeah. Um, because she's, I, I guess her her vision is more detailed than we've been led to believe. Because yeah, it, and it seems it seems to be the case that she thinks herself part of that. Yeah, uh, there's definitely the sense here that man didn't when Rand asked all the way back in Berlon for what she saw around him, she didn't tell him the tenth of it. Yeah, like. Especially when it came to her specifically, because she's alluding to the fact here that she's going to be tied to him in some way, and it appears to be romantically. Yeah, which I mean, that's just that—that's not good first date conversation. So it it no. makes sense. It makes sense yeah. that men didn't tell him everything. Yep. Uh, but it it does appear, and, and I mean, I'm even sitting here wondering: is men? You know, is she in love with Rand, or is she just kind of recognizing what the pattern's been telling her? Uh, maybe I don't knows think that she has. Maybe knows that there's nothing she can do about it. Whatever the case. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think she is resigned to the fact that she knows when she sees something, it comes to pass. Yeah, like what she sees happens. So I think she's resigned to the fact that what she saw is gonna happen. I don't think she has enough time yet to have tr even begun to try and love Rand. Yeah. Uh, I don't but, think, you know, they've had two meet. No, they've had one meeting. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think she has had time for that. I think she is just, she knows what's coming and she knows there's no way for her to avoid it. So she's just trying to do what she can. 
Uh, yeah. Because she now knows she's tied to him. And she and, now has an inkling of what he is. Right, right. That's, <laughs> that's becoming a lot more clear to a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to, again, we're going to find out why in the next chapter. Um, but, she's not the only one who comes to Rand, though. Nope. We uh, finally I, I, And of course, I'm talking about Egwene. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, uh, finally, the, the, this, this name that we've heard a few, on, on a few occasions, a name that seemingly struck some fear into some of the Aes Sedai who, who mentioned her. Lanfear. Yeah. And, and I think it's, I think it's, it's, it would be fitting to just kind of brush over the description we get of her. Uh, she's incredibly beautiful. The, the most beautiful, maybe the most beautiful woman that, that anybody's ever seen. Pale, smooth skin, long black hair, eyes as dark as the night, dress that was so white that it could make snow look dingy. Uh, and her belt and jewelry are all silver. Um, is there any mention of how tall she is? No. No? Okay. Um, seemingly, this is the first time we have met the Forsaken called Lanfear. Yep. And she... And maybe this is what the chapter title is about. She seems to think she has a claim on. Well, she calls him Luce Theron. Yeah. And uh, she she's she thinks that she is in control of everything. And what is it she she says to men something along the lines of of take care of him for me. Yeah. So basically, what we're doing here, we're meeting Lanfear, who is. Luce Theron's crazy ex-girlfriend. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, that's always fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, the woman he turned aside from to marry Ileana. So so, so she's the jilted lover. Yep. Oh, boy, this is going to get... Uh, <laughs> this is going to get fun. Um, yep. Uh, and Ben has every right to be terrified right now. Well, I mean, these are names, the Forsaken, they're, they're names, I mean, they're, I think we've talked about that before, they're, they're kind of like, the uh, boogeyman. they're kind of like the boogeyman, their names are used to, you know, frighten children into behaving, Yep. right, so somebody walks in and claims to be one of these people, and I don't know if, um, I don't know if any descriptions of the Forsaken are ever included in those stories, but if they are, then, you know, maybe, you know, men can recognize even, yeah, the name fits the, the appearance. Uh, she knows who she's dealing with. And of course, everything that men had, and maybe men can even see something that we're yeah. not told. Oh yeah. She's, she's more likely than not did see some visions here. We're just not given any. Uh, but I can't imagine she would look at one of the Forsaken and not see one. So. Right, and and I I, I wouldn't want to know what those those visions yeah. entailed. Um, yep. 
And, and it's interesting to me that, that what, what she talks about, about being the one in control. She mentions another name, uh, Ishamael. Says yep. he thinks he thinks he's in control, but it, it's really me. Mm-hmm. So yep. that's definitely we, that's something. We haven't to heard take... that uh, Shamael name since the prologue, since Dragon Mount. Yeah, but it, it seems like it's something to take notice of at this point. Yep. Um, might be might be important for the future. Oh yeah. Uh, anything else in that chapter? Um, just the tiny little bit at the end that almost. E- pretty easy to overlook that uh one white cloak survived ah, yeah well that was uh, it was Bayar who was sent away before the battle started yep and his whole takeaway is that all of this happened because they were betrayed by Perrin Abara <laughs> <laughs> well he, he does he, I think he says dark friends but he mentions Perrin specifically yep <laughs> Uh, so that doesn't bode well for our axe-wielding wolf brother. No. Uh, because, um, uh, whatever they have in store for Perrin is probably the worst. Yep. (sighs) All right. right. So I think we need to move into 49. Chapter 49, what was meant to be. Rand awakens to learn that he is five days from Falma but he quickly learns that everyone in the area saw him face off with Baalzaman in the sky. And as the Shinarans pledge themselves to the Dragon Reborn, Moraine tells him that it is time he choose his path. Yep. Okay, was Moraine in Falma the whole time? The whole time, maybe not. Uh, but she was definitely there. By the time Rand and them got there. It's the the way, I, I don't know, just the way she spoke, it almost sounded like she'd been there for a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, laying low, obviously, because she wasn't captured. But um, yeah, we've been wondering, I've been, I've been asking for weeks, where are Moraine? Where is Lan? And here they are. Here they are. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they showed up again and... Um, here, here's Moraine, and you know we talk about the 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 hero's journey. Moraine is at least in the these first couple of books, kind of plays the role of the uh, the wise old sage who yeah. directs the hero on their path. That's really the role Moraine is playing, and she's doing the same thing here, is kind of pushing Rand in the direction that he needs to go, or or helping him to figure out what direction he needs to go. Um, But before, before we get into that, I guess there's a couple of things. Um, Moraine gives us some details about Padden Fane that we, you know, basically he's a, he's a combination of, and I guess maybe we already knew this, but here we have it spelled out for us. He's basically a a mixture of whatever the Dark One did to him and Mordeth. Yep. It's like the two combined together, swirled together, maybe didn't mix that well in some places, and what results is Padden Fane. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I, I guess it's not, still not entirely clear what he is, but he's something more than a Dark Friend. Uh, maybe even something more than Mordeth. 
Yeah. And we have no idea where he is now. Nope. That that that's the scary thing is we've spent several chapters of this book wanting to find Padden Fane, confront him because we don't want him going to the two rivers and causing trouble. And now he's gone. And no yeah. idea where he's at. Uh, the other thing, yep. uh, you want to say anything else about Fane? Uh, just, he is something new. Um, he yeah. is a creature of the dark, but he's also like, so there's the dark one, obviously evil. Right. And then what he's mixed with, Mordith, is the evil of men at its most distilled and pure form. Yeah. So you have the supernatural, like, evil, like, deity kind of evil in the Dark One. And then you have the evil that men can build in their own hearts, mixing with that. Uh, just creates this amalgam of just corrupt, destroy. I don't even know how to, the words to describe it. It's yeah. truly terrifying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so uh, we got to... Keep an eye out for Pad and Fane. Uh, the yeah. other thing that I wanted to bring up, it, it's kind of a, a good news, bad news situation. Uh, start with the bad news is that two more of the Quindiar seals are broken. The good news is, is these are the ones that were in Turek's collection. So those are accounted for. Like, yeah. he didn't, he didn't run off back to Sean Chen with them. They, they are still here. Uh, they're in Moraine's possession, so they're not yeah. lost, thankfully, but they are broken. Yeah, so, um, with three of the seven being broken, that's almost half. Yeah, but at that's least... That's not good. At least we know where those two are, right? Yeah. It could have easily ended up that Turok took them with him. Well, he wouldn't and, have taken them anywhere since he was, you know, laying dead on the floor, but... See, this is what I'm talking about. I forget everything. Yeah. Maybe his servants but, could have taken yeah, them. Yeah, his servants them. or somebody could have taken them for Somebody sure. could have taken them. Padden Fane could have gotten in and taken them. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. So. You see, I forget stuff. <laughs> yeah. And we talked about that just last week, and it was epic, and it just completely... Uh, my <laughs> point was being is that those two seals are now accounted for. Correct. Uh, they're, they're in... They're, they're in Aes Sedai hands. Uh, that could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. Uh they're not lost, but they yeah. are broken. Um, all right. So one, we have one more thing to cover in this chapter, but I did want to bring up a point before we move yeah. forward. Um, I forgot to put the note in there in our notes. Uh, so we know that Min is here, Lana Moraine, Perrin yeah. has obviously stayed with Rand. Right. The others are being taken back to the tower, Matt for healing, right. uh, by Varen. There's an interesting fact here that when uh, Rand is, like, biting back and, like, trying to refute Moraine and things here, he brings up the point that he doesn't want to be on I Should I Strings anymore. She couldn't send... She acted like she was going to send him away, and then she sent Varen to watch him. It, and no, Moraine is like, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh. Varen has obviously been doing something else. She was not working alongside Moraine. Now, right. that doesn't mean she was working against her, but she was doing her own thing. She was not on order from anybody. You know, it seems like a very Varen thing to do. 
Yeah. With, with what we've ha- the the little bit that we've gotten to know her, what's been going, it seems it seems like a very brown thing to do. Is they're just you know sometimes they're just kind of go and do their own thing, uh, for whatever their purposes are. Um, but yeah, that was an interesting revelation that you know because you know we were operating all this time thinking that oh Moraine must have sent Varen to. To, to look after them. Yep. And, no, nah, nope, that wasn't the case. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it basically after that, it's boiling down to the fact that Moraine is trying to just, she's trying once again to convince Ran of what he has to do. Right. I, I don't have my book with me. I had those pages written down, too. To read that little bit, but maybe you've got it. Oh, yeah. Are you talking about like where she's just trying to convince him? It's right there towards the end of the chapter is what I was thinking of. That basically that moment where she's telling him, "You have to choose. Like you have to make a choice." Yeah. Um. Let's see. Yeah, she's basically like. There's the part here. You know, Rand is saying that he won't. The dragon is supposed to break the world again to tear everything apart. I will not be the dragon. And Moraine says, you are what you are. Already you stir the world. The Black Aja has revealed itself for the first time in 2,000 years. Eridomon and Terabon were on the brink of war, and it will be worse when news of Falmar reaches them. Kyrian is in civil war. Rand tries to protest. I did nothing in Kyrian. You can't blame that one on me. (laughs) And she says, Doing nothing was always a ploy in the great game. She said with a sigh, and especially as they play it now, You were the spark, and Kyrian exploded like an illuminator's firework. I just like like that, you know, I I didn't do anything in Kyrian. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, and that's when, at that point is when she reveals to him that the seals are break, broken. Yeah. It's when he finally sees Tam's sword uh, and sees what's happened to it. Uh, and then basically Rand latches on here to Padden Fane. Like, that's the thing he his mind wants to hold on to as like, okay, sure, there's all that stuff, but... I just need to take care of Pat and Fane. Well, I mean, that's that's been... Uh, other than finding the dagger for Matt, that has been the thing that has driven him uh, for yep. so long. Is is I think we mentioned it, you know, last week. You know, in many ways, he could care less about the horn, right? That, yep. that was part of it, yes, but more important to him were, number one, finding the dagger to save Matt's life, and then... Finding Padden Fane because of Padden Fane's threats against the two rivers. Yep. And so it would make sense that, you know, now that he's awake, he realizes he still hasn't faced Padden Fane. Yet Matt has the dagger. Matt's on his way to Tarvalon for healing. Where's Padden Fane? Yeah. We got to find this out because my home is in danger, or at least that's what I think. That's what I was told. And so I have to, uh, I have to move on to that yeah. so he's gonna you know that's i think his plan and then he you know steps outside and is suddenly met with the shinarans right who are are ready to pledge himself to them uh you know even masima the one who hated him 
you know, is now calling him the Lord Dragon. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then that's when Moraine finally confronts him and says, you must choose. Yeah. The world will be broken whether you break it or not. Tarman Gaiden will come, and that alone will tear the world apart. Will you still try to hide from what you are and leave the world to face the last battle undefended? Choose. Yeah. And then it ends with Rand in his head. Death is lighter than a feather, duty heavier than a mountain. And he made his decision. I love that line. Yep. I love that ending because, A, it, it it's left kind of ambiguous. I mean, we we probably know what decision Matt or Rand made. Yeah. But just the way that it's left, you, you, there's still this thought in your head, what how do we know what he chose? Right. Mm-hmm. I just, I just love the way that ended leaving it almost on a, on a cliffhanger like that. And we pretty much have to wait until the next book to find out. Yeah. Um, thankfully it won't be long before we'll be reading that book. Yep. Uh, but uh, we do have one last final chapter to touch on. Yeah. Chapter 50 after the stories about what happened in Falma are spreading. And as the story spreads, it changes. But at the core, it's still the same. It's becoming more and more apparent to the world that the dragon has been reborn. And that's really all I had for this chapter. (laughs) Yeah. That's all uh, I... I mean, it's it's like, you know, I think in my copy of the book, it's like one... It's like half a page. Yeah. And There's not much. It's basically just expounding on the fact that this ain't going to be just a little thing. Like they kept everything at the end of the first book, pretty well contained. Like the people of yeah. Shinar knew something had happened and that was about it. Yeah. Like the world didn't know. This is not that this is before long. The world's going to know what happened at Falma and that right. the dragon is back. And there, there's, there's no turning back now. Yeah. There, there's, and I there's, did want, there's no way out of this. Go ahead. Yeah. Now, I think the only other thing I wanted to touch on out of this chapter is, if you're okay with it, I just want to read this little little bitty paragraph at the end that's the prophecy. Go for it. Yeah, um, for sure. Just because I think it's, it's really appropriate. And men cried out to the Creator, saying, O light of the heavens, light of the world, let the promised one be born of the mountain, according to the prophecies, as he was in ages past and will be in ages to come. Let the prince of the morning sing to the land that green things will grow and the valleys give forth lambs. Let the arm of the Lord of the dawn shelter us from the dark and let the sword, the great sword of justice defend us. Let the dragon ride again on the winds of time. It's just, you know, it's prophecy. And I love the prophecies. Sounds, sounds like a good place to end it. Yeah. And I will say this, um, so obviously, a big part of this prophecy is dealing with you know the rebirth of the dragon. Right. There's some other little details in there um, which I can't necessarily reveal all of because spoilers. <laughs> right. Uh, but there is one uh, at the very end there which is kind of fun. Uh, the great sword of justice defend us. We we actually just saw that happen. We did. Because that is the name of Arthur Hawkwing's sword. Oh, Arthur yeah. Hawkwing's sword is justice. It is. Yep. <laughs> so okay, that's just a fun little little note I saw in there Prophes- when I was reading it. I was like, 
prophecy, prophecy is coming true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I didn't have anything else on that on that last little bit. So, um, no, I think that's pretty much. I mean, that's the end that's the of the end of the second book of the Wheel of Time. Yep. Uh, well, I, I am pleased to know uh, we didn't touch on it um, before, but Bella is okay. <laughs> they found Bella. Um, yep. She's going to be coming along, so we're not leaving Bella behind. I'm very thankful for that. Um, other than that, you know, I'm ready to go ahead and pick up the next book and start going again. Yep. You know, that's the thing I love about these books. And Robert Jordan was really good about this. And, you know, and I think I've mentioned this before. There are times where, at least in my experience, where you know, the middle of the book can get a little, little slow at times, but it always picks up at the end and it gets to the point. It's like, okay, I've got to get the next one and just see what happens next. <laughs> uh, yeah. He was really good at that. Um, so looking forward to more of that going forward. And I got a feeling, you know, the next book's going to open pretty much the same way to, to get us really rolling. So, um, yep. So looking forward to that, which we'll be covering that in, in just a few weeks um, from the time that you're hearing this. I'm not exactly sure when this episode will be released, but uh, it won't be it won't be terribly long. We'll take a little bit of a break um, between episodes but uh, or between seasons, but it won't be a terribly long time before we're diving right into book three. Yep. So do you have any final we'll be thoughts? Here before we know it. Um no, I just, you know, another book done. And, uh, you know, I just thoroughly enjoy The Great Hunt. It's we a got, fun ride. Yeah. Uh, we got, what, know, 12 to go now? Yeah. Two, two down, 12 to go? Yep. Uh, so, you know, it's there's a lot of fun and a lot of character building and a lot of world building that happens in The Great Hunt. So... Yeah. You really get introduced to a lot more of the world uh, in this book, which is a lot of fun to me. Yeah, we, we really did. We'll probably talk about some of that next week uh, as we yeah. as we talk do a do a book review. Um, yep. I'm excited to talk to revisit some moments and uh, maybe some fun things that that happened and, and talk about those. But we'll we'll save that for next week. Uh, anything yeah. else? No, I think that's it. I just hope everybody enjoyed this as much as we did. Oh, for <laughs> sure. Um, and if you didn't, we enjoyed it. So <laughs> we're going to keep <laughs> yep. right on going and hope that uh, yep. hope that you'll keep coming back uh, for more. Uh, but for now, we'll just say thanks for, for joining us this week. And for if you've been with us um, since the beginning, thanks for joining us for, uh, well, two seasons now. We're not quite done with this one. We've got a little bit more to go in season two but hey thanks for joining us for whatever period of time you've been with us and uh, we hope you'll keep coming back for for more of course new episodes are published every tuesday so uh, you can expect to find us there um, when we're when we're recording and publishing new episodes uh, to make sure that you get those subscribe to to our podcast where wherever you listen um, to your podcast and if you if you're able, leave us a rating and a review. We would greatly appreciate that. Um, that'll help us to to get get more listeners, hopefully. Uh, 
You can join us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. You can find us in all of those places. Uh, That information is included in the show notes, uh, as well as our email address, thewindwasabeginning at gmail.com. You can reach out to us that way. And please do. We would love to hear from you, uh, our listeners, and uh, let us know what you think. Let us know you know, your, your thoughts, your theories, if you're reading with us for the first time, uh, questions. We're getting ready in a couple of weeks to record a, a Q&A episode. It may already be recorded by the time you hear this. I'm not sure. Um, but sh- shoot us some questions. We'll definitely uh, work with those. But next week, uh, we will be, like we did with season one, we will be doing a review of this second book, The Great Hunt. So uh, nothing to read for next week unless you want to go through the whole book again. That'll be that'll be quite a feat um, in, in one week's time. But uh, whatever you want to do to prepare for that review, hope that you will join us for that. And um, yeah, we'll be we'll be back for for that. So until then, we hope you've enjoyed this book. We hope that you've uh, enjoyed our discussion. We've enjoyed it. And uh, hope we see you back here again next week. Have a great week, everybody. See y'all later.